29. Teaching. The result of a course of active and careful speculations on the philosophy and economy of pockets, has led us to the conviction that their intention and use are but very imperfectly understood, even by the intelligent and reflective section of the community. It island we fear, a very common error to regard them as conventional recesses, adapted for the reception and deposit of such luxurious adiaments to the attire as are detached yet accessory and indispensable ministers to our comfort. Now this delusive supposition is diametrically opposed to the truth. Pockets we must be plain pockets are not made to put into, but to take out of, and, although it is of course necessary that, in order to produce the result of withdrawal, they be previously furnished with the wherewithal to withdraw, yet the process of insertion and supply is only carried on for the purpose of assisting the operation of the system, and having, we trust, Logically established this point, we shall hazard no incautious position in asserting that the man who empties a pocket, fulfills the object for which it was founded and established, and although, unhappily, a prejudice still exists in the minds of the uneducated, in favor of emptying their own pockets themselves, it must be evident that none but a narrow mind can take umbrage at the trifling acceleration of an event which must inevitably occur, or would desire to appropriate the credit of the distribution as well as to deserve the merit of the supply, we perceive with concern and apprehension, that pockets are gradually falling into disuse, to use the flippant idiom of the day, they are going out, this is an alarming, as well as a lamentable fact, and one, two, strikingly illustrative of the degeneracy of modern fashions, whether we ascribe the change to a contemptuous neglect of ancestral institutions, or to an increasing difficulty in furnishing the indispensable attributes of the pocket, it is alike indicative of a crisis, and we confess that it is matter of astonishment to us, that in these days of theory and hypothesis, no man has ventured to trace the distress and the ruin now impending over the country, to the increasing disrespect and disuse of pockets, by way of approving our conjecture, let us contrast the garments of the hour with those of England in the olden time long ago, when boards smoked and groaned under a load of good things in every man's house, when the rich took care of the poor and the poor took care of themselves, when husband and wife married for love, and lived happily though that must have been very long ago indeed, the athletic yeoman proceeded to his daily toil, enveloped in garments instinct with pockets, the ponderous watch the plethoric purse the massive snuff box the dainty toothpick the grotesque handkerchief, all were accommodated and cherished in the more ample recesses of his coat, while supplementary fobs were endeared to him by their more seductive contents, as ginger lozenges, love letters, and turnpike tickets, such were the days on which we should reflect with regret, such were the men whom we should imitate and revere, had such a character as we have endeavored feebly to sketch, met an individual enveloped in a shapeless cylindrical tube of pale Macintosh impossible for taste incapable of pockets indefinite and indefinable we question whether he would have regarded him in the light of a maniac, an incendiary, or a foreign spy whether he would not have handed him immediately over to the exterminators of the law as a being too depraved, too degraded for human sympathy, and yet for our prolixity warns us to conclude and yet the festering contagion of this baneful example is nowadays hidden under the mask of fashion, fashion, and has it indeed come to this, is fashion to trample on the best and finest feelings of our nature, is fashion to be permitted to invade us in our green lanes, and our high roads, under our vines and our fig trees, without hindrance, and without pockets, for the sake of human nature, we hope not for the sake of our bleeding country, we hope not, no, take care of your pockets, 
is one of the earliest maxims instilled into the youthful mind, and emphatically do we repeat to our fellow countrymen Englishmen, take care of your pockets, punches theater, critics, as well as placemen, are occasionally sinecurists, and, like the gentlemen of England immortalized by Dibden, are able, now and then, to live at home at ease, to dine on dining days in comfort, not having to arise from table to give authors or actors their dessert. This kind of novelty in our lives takes place when managers produce no novelties in their theaters, when authors are lazy, and actors do not come out in new parts but are contented with wearing out old ones when, in short, such an eventless theatrical week as the past one leaves us to the enjoyment of our own hookahs, and the port of our cellar-keeping friends, the playbills seem to have been printed from stereotype, for, like the laws of the Medes and Persians, they have never altered since our last report. This unexpected hot weather has visited the public with many a midsummer night's dream. Although it is and Covent Garden has opened because it is September, Sheridan's critic has been very busy there, though Punches has had nothing to do. London Assurance is still seen to much advantage, and so is Madame Vestries. The Haymarket manager continues to await knee deep in tragedy. In spite of the state of the weather, the Fair Island however, too good for any change in the cart. Werner forms a substantial standing dish. The boarding school makes a most palpable entree, while Bob Short and my friend the captain serve as excellent after-courses. The promises recorded in the Haymarket bills are a new tragedy by a new author, and an old comedy called Riches, a certain hit. If the continued success of money be any criterion, it is with feelings of the most rabid indignation that we approach the Strand Theatre and the ruthless threat its announcements put forth of the future destruction of the only legitimate drama that is now left amongst us, that is to say, Punch, when Thespes and his pupil Finicus came out at the feasts of Bacchus, when Rochus was an actor in Rome, when Scaramouche turned the materia medica into a farce, and became a quack doctor in Italy, when Richardson set up his show in England all these geniuses were peregrinate, peripatetic their scenes were really moving ones, their tragic woes went upon wheels, their comedies were run through at the rate of so many miles per hour, the entire drama was, in fact, a traveling concern. Punch, the concentrated essence of all these, has, up to this date, preserved the pristine purity of his peripatetic fame, he still remains on circuit, he still retains his legitimacy, but, alas, ere this sheet has passed through the press, while its ink is yet as wet as our dear Judy's eyes, he will have fallen from his high estate, Hall will have housed him, Punch will have taken a stationary stand at the Strand Theatre, the last stroke will have been given to the only ancient drama remaining, except the tragedies of Sophocles, and Gamergurton's Needle, with feelings of both sorrow and anger, we turn from the pedestrian to the equestrian drama, the Surrey has again, as of yore, become the circus, she has been joined to Ducrow and his stud by the usual symbol of union a ring. Mazeppa is written by Mr. Cartlidge, with great success, and the wild horse performed by an animal so highly trained, that it is as tame as a lap dog has galloped through a score or so of nights, to the delight of some thousands of spectators, the scenes in the circle exhibit the usual round of entertainment, and the merriman delivers those relics of antique facetiae which have descended to the clowns of the ring from generation to generation, without the smallest innovation, thus the Surrey shows symptoms of high prosperity and properly declines to fly in fortune's face by attempting novelty. The Victoria continues to kill James Dawson, in spite of our prediction. The bills, however, 
Promise that he shall die outright on Monday next, and a happy release it will be. The proprietor of Sadler's Wells is making most spirited efforts to attract playgoers to the island inside of the new river, by a return to the legitimate drama of his theater. This, real water, while his box check taker has kept one important integer of the public away, namely, that singular plural we by impertinence for which we have exhausted all patience without obtaining redress. There are, we hear, other theaters open in London, one called the City of London, somewhere near Shoreditch, another in Whitechapel, both Terry and Cognito to us. The proprietors of these have handsomely presented us with free admissions. We beg them to accept our thanks for their courtesy, but are sorry we cannot avail ourselves of it till they add the obligation of providing us with guides, the corn laws and Christianity. Dr. Chalmers refused to attend the synod of clergymen gathered together to consider the relative value of the big and little loaf, on the ground that the reverend gentlemen were beginning their work at the wrong end. Wages will go up with Christianity, says the doctor, cheap corn will follow the dissemination of cheap Bibles. I know of no other road for the indefinite advancement of the working classes to a far better remuneration, and, of course, a far more liberal maintenance, in return for their toils, than they have ever yet enjoyed it is a universal Christian education. Such are the words of Dr. Chalmers. We perfectly agree with the Reverend Doctor. Instead of shipping missionaries to Africa, let us keep those Christian sages at home for the instruction of the English aristocracy. When we consider the benighted condition of the elegant savages of the western squares, when we reflect upon the dreadful skepticism abounding in Park Lane, Mayfair, Portland Place and its vicinity, when we contemplate the abominable idols which these unhappy natives worship in their ignorance, when we know that every thought, every act of their misspent life is dedicated to a false religion, when they make hourly and daily sacrifice to that brazen serpent, self, when they offer up the poor man's sweat to the abomination, when they lay before it the crippled child of the factory, when they take from life its bloom and dignity, and degrading human nature to mere brute breathing, make offering of its wretchedness as the most savory morsel to the perpetual craving of their insatiate God, when we consider all the manifold sins and wickednesses of the barbarians in purple and fine linen, of those pampered savages whose eyes are red with wine and whose teeth white with milk, We do earnestly hope that the suggestion of Dr. Chalmers will be carried into immediate practical effect, and that missionaries, preaching true Christianity, will be sent among the rich and benighted people of this country, so that the poor may believe that the scriptures are something more than mere printed paper, seeing their glorious effects in the awakened hearts of those who, in the arrogance of their old idolatry, called themselves their betters. A universal Christian education, to this end, the bench of bishops meet at Lambeth, and discovering that locusts and wild honey the Baptists' diet may be purchased for something less than 10,000 a year, and, after a minute investigation of the testament, failing to discover the name of Street Peter's coachmaker, or of Street Paul's footman, his valet, or his cook, take counsel one with another, and resolve to forego at least nine-tenths of their yearly incomings. No! They exclaim and what apostolic brightness beams in the countenance of Canterbury what celestial light plays about the fleshy head of London what more than saint-like beauty surprises the cowslip-colored face of Exeter what lambent fire, what looks of Christian love play about and beam from the whole episcopal bench. No, they cry, we will no longer have the spirit oppressed by these cumbrous trappings of fleshy pride. We will promote an universal Christian education we will teach charity by examples and live unto all men by a personal abstinence from the bickerings and malice of civil life. 
we will not defile the sacred lawn with the mud of turnpike acts we will no longer sweat in the house of lords, but labor only in the house of the Lord, their Christian hearts sweetly suffused with sudden neatness, the bishops proceed staff in hand, and Bible under arm from Lambeth Palace, how the people make way for the holy procession, hackney coachmen on their stands uncover themselves, and the drayman, surprised in his whistle, doffs his beaver to the reverend pilgrims, with measured step and slow, they proceed to Downing Street, the self-deputed missionaries, resolve to give Her Majesty's ministers, a Christian education, Sir Orobiardi Peel is immediately taken in hand by the Bishop of Exeter, who sets the baronet to learn and exemplify the practical beauties of the Lord's Prayer, when Sir Orobiardi comes to, give us this day our daily bread, he insists upon adding the words, with a sliding scale, however, Exeter, animated by a sudden flux of Christianity, keeps the baronet to his lesson, and the premier is regenerated, yea, is, a brand snatched from the fire, Lord Lyndhurst makes a great many rhyme outs at some parts of the decalogue we will not particularize them but the Bishop of London is resolute, and the new Lord Chancellor Island in all respects a brand new Christian, Lord Stanley begs that when he prays for power to forgive all his enemies, he may be permitted to accept from that prayer Daniel O'Connell, the Bishop Island however, inexorable, and O'Connell is to be prayed for, in all churches visited by Lord Stanley, several of the bishops, smitten by the heathen darkness of the great majority of the cabinet affected by their utter ignorance of the practical working of Christianity burst into tears, it will not be credited by those disposed to think charitably of their fellow creatures, that we state the melancholy fact upon the golden word of the Bishop of Exeter several cabinet ministers had never heard of the divine sentence which enjoins upon us to do to others as we would they should do unto us. Sir James Graham, for instance, declared that he had always understood the passage to simply run, to others, and had, therefore, in very many acts of his political life, squared his doings according to the mutilated sentence, all the cabinet had, more or less, some idea of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, indeed, many of them confessed that with them, the loaves and the fishes had, during their whole political career, contained the essence of Christianity, Sir Edward K. and A.D.C.H.P.U.L.L., Lord E.L.E.N.D.O.R.O.U.G.H., and G.O.U.L.B.U.R.N. declared that for the last ten years they had hungered for nothing else, we cannot dwell upon every individual case of ignorance displayed in the cabinet, we confine ourselves to the glad statement, that every minister from the first lord of the treasury to the grooms in waiting, vivified by the sacred heat of their schoolmaster bishops, illustrate the great truth of Dr. Chalmers, that the poor man can only obtain justice, by a universal Christian education, the bench of bishops do not confine their labors to the instruction of the cabinet, by no means, they have appointed prebends, deans, canons, vicars, and c to teach the members of both houses of parliament practical Christianity towards their fellow men. Lord Londonderry has sold his fowling piece for the benefit of the poor has given his shooting jacket to the ragged beggar that sweeps the crossing opposite the Carlton Club and resolving to forego the vanities of grouse, is now hard at work on the Acts of the Apostles. Colonel S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P. after unceasing labor on the part of Dr. Ciaroli has managed to spell at least six of the hard names in the first chapter of St. Matthew and can now, with very slight hesitation, declare who was the father of Zabedea's children, and universal Christian education, oh, reader, picture to yourself London for one day only operated upon by the purest Christianity, consider the mundane interests of this tremendous metropolis directed by apostolic principles, 
imagine the hypocrisy of respectability the conventional lie the allowed ceremonial deceit the tricks of trade the ten thousand scoundrel subterfuges by which the lowest dealers of this world purchase bank stock and rear their own pineapples the common, innocent iniquities innocent from their very antiquity, having been bequeathed from sire to son which men perpetrate six working days in the week, and after, lacquer up their faces with a look of sleek humility for the Sunday pew consider all this locust swarm of knaveries annihilated by the purifying spirit of Christianity, and then look upon London breathing and living, for one day only, by the sweet, sustaining truth of the gospel, had our page ten thousand times its amplitude, it would not contain the briefest register of the changes of that day, there is a scoundrel attorney, who for thirty years has become plethoric on broken hearts, the scales of leprous villainy had fallen from him, and now, an incarnation of justice, he sits with open doors, to pour oil into the wounds of the smitten to make man embrace man as his brother to preach loving kindness to all the world, and without a fee to chant the praises of peace and enmity. Crib the stockbroker meets horns a fellow laborer in the same hempen walk of life. Crib offers to buy a little Spanish of horns. My dear Crib, says horns, it is impossible, I can't sell for I had just received by a private hand from Cadiz, news that must send the stock down to nothing, I am a Christian, my dear crib, says Horns, and as a Christian, how could I sell you a certain loss, a mistaken, but well-meaning man, although a tailor, meets his debtor in Bow Street, a slight quarrel ensues, whereupon, the debtor to show that the days of chivalry are not gone kicks his tailor into the gutter, does the tailor take the offender before Mr. J.A.R.D.I.N.E., by no means, the tailor is a Christian, and learning the exact measure of his enemy, and returning good for evil, he, in three days' time, sends to his assailant a new suit of the very best Super Saxony. How many quacks we see rushing to the various newspaper offices to countermand their advertisements? What gaps in the columns of the newspapers themselves? Where is the sugary lie, the adroit slander, the scoundrel meanness, masking itself with the usage of patriotism? All, all are vanished. For the Morning Herald is published upon Christian principles. Let us descend to the smallest matters of social life. Will the skin them wash? Asks Betty the housemaid of Twill the linen draper. Twill is a Christian, and therefore replies, It is a very poor article, and it will not wash. We are with Dr. Chalmers for Christianity but not Christianity of one side. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Say the Corn Law Apostles to the famishing, and then, cocking their eye at one another and twitching their tongues in their mouths they add, for this is Christianity. Cue encouragement of native talent. Her Majesty has, it seems, presented the conductor of the Gazette Musicale with a gold medal and her portrait, as a reward for his constant efforts in the cause of music by the morning post. September 9th. From this, it may be supposed, for inners alone are deemed worthy of distinction, but our readers will be glad to learn, that Rundells have been honored with an order for a silver whistle for punch his unceasing efforts in the causes of humbug, political, literary, and dramatic, having drawn forth this high mark of royal favor, Punch's pencilings number x the omen outwitted, or, how his reverence's heels took steps to save his head, so, Dick, I mean your reverence, you like the blessed old country as well as ever, eh, lad, as well, I, almost better, my return to it is like the meeting of long-parted friends the joy of the moment is pure and in alloyed all minor faults are forgotten all former goodness rushes with double force from the recollection to the heart, 
and the renewal of old fellowship grafts new virtues the sweet fruits of regretted absence upon him who has been the chosen tenant of our heart of hearts, his reverence's health three times three empty them heel taps, Jack, and fill out of the fresh jug now, boys, give time, that's the raw thing, them cheers would wake the seven sleepers after a dose of laudanum, bless you, and long life to you, that's the worst wish you'll find here, I know that right well, uncle, I know it, feel it, and most heartily thank you all, enough said, parson, my dad, dick, it's mighty droll to be calling you, that was but yesterday a small curly pate gossoon, by that clerical mouthful of a handle to your name, but do you find us altered much, there is no change but times that has fallen lightly, to be sure, yesterday I was looking for the heads of my strapping cousins at the bottom button of their well-filled waistcoats, and, before Jack's arrival, meant to do a paternal and patriarchal pat on his, that somewhere about that altitude, a ceremony he must excuse, as the little lad of my mind has thought proper to expand into a young Enniskillen of six feet three, he's a mighty fine boy the lady killing vagabond, said the father, with a kind look of gratified pride, and then added, as if to stop the infection of the vanity, and there's no denying he's big enough to be better, here a slight scrimmage at the door of the dining room attracted the attention of the masser. What's the meaning of that noise? Ye vagabonds, speak up. Mickey, is it me? It island, not at all. By no means. Let Patty do it. Or Tim Carroll, they're used to going out with the car. And don't mind speaking to the quality. Take yourselves out o' thought. Or let me know what you want. And be pretty quick about it, too. The result of this order was the appearance of Tim Carroll in the center of the room a did between the shoulders. And vigorously applied kick behind hastening him into that somewhat uneasy situation, with a degree of expedition perfectly marvelous. Speak out. What is it? Ahem. Commenced him, you see. Sir aside, I'll be even with you for that kick. You thief of the world you see. Patty bad manners to him and the rest of the boys. Was thinking that, owing to the change o' climate, Master Richard that island his new reverence has gone through by a son of laving England and common here and mighty good, no doubt. He was on the journey be praised he's safe the boy, sir, was thinking, Master dear, it was nothing but their duty, and what was due to the family, to ask your honor's opinion about their talking the smallest taste of whiskey in life, just to be drinking his reverence's Master Richard's health, and success to him, shouted the chorus at the door, that's it, said the Master, and nothing but it, responded the chorus, Nolly, my jewel, take the case and give them anything in Daysonkey. Hurrah! Smiling good luck to you. Forever and after. That'll do. Boys. But stay. It's Terence Conway's wedding night. It's a good tenant. He's been to me. Take the sub down there. And you'll get a dance. Now be off. You devils. Many thanks to your honor. Chorus the delighted group. And I done that elegant. Anyhow. Muttered the gratified. Successful. And. Therefore. Forgiving order. I'll try again. Ahem. Wouldn't the young gentleman just step down for a taste? By all means, was chimed at once, their hats were mounted in a moment, and off they set. Terence Conway's farm was soon reached, the barn affording the most accommodation for the numerous visitors, was fitted up for the occasion. It was nearly full, as Terence was a popular man one that didn't grudge the pin and sup, and never turned his back upon friend or foe. Loud and hearty were the cheers of the delighted tenantry as the three sons of their beloved landlord passed the threshold. The appearance of the stranger was received with no such demonstrations of welcome, on the contrary, 
There was a sullen silence, soon after broken by suppressed and angry murmurs. These were somewhat appeased by one of the sons introducing his cousin, and endeavoring to joke the peasants into good humor, by laughingly assuring them his reverence was but a bad drinker, and would not deprive them of much of the poteen, then passing his arm through the parsons, he led the way, as it afterwards turned out, rather unfortunately, to the top of the barn, and there, followed by his brothers, they took their seats. The entrance of the Catholic priest a most amiable man at this moment attracted the entire attention of the party, during which time Tim Carroll elbowed his way to the place where his master was seated, and calling him partially aside, whispered, Master John, dear, tell his reverence, Master Richard, to go, what for, sure, is not he entirely in black, well, what of it, what of it, holy Paul, the like so that, if my skin was as hard as a miser's heart, I wouldn't put it into a black coat, and come to a wedding in it, it's the devil's own bad omen, and nothing else, you are right, what a fool I was not to tell Dick, cousin, a word, here the clamor became somewhat louder, the priest taking an active part, and speaking rapidly and earnestly in their native tongue to the evidently excited peasantry, he suddenly broke from them, and hastening to the Protestant clergyman, grasped his hand, and, shaking it heartily, wished him health long life, and happiness, and lifting a tumbler of punch to his lips, drank off nearly half its contents, exclaiming the customary, God save all here, he then presented the liquor to the stranger, saying in a low earnest voice, drink that toast, sir, this order was instantly complied with, the clear tones of the young man's unfaltering voice and the hearty cordiality of his utterance had a singular effect upon the more turbulent, the priest passed rapidly from the one to the other, and endeavored to say something pleasant to all, but, despite his attempts at calmness, he was evidently ill at ease, Tim Carroll again sidled up to his young master, the boy's main harum, sir, said Tim, but never mind, there's five of us here, we've not been idle, we've all been taking pick the sticks, and devil a stroke falls upon one of the old ancient family without showing a brick head or a flat back for it, what am I to understand by this, inquired the young stranger, that you're like Tom Ferguson when he rode the losing horse you've mounted the wrong color, and, bedad, you are pretty well marked down for it, sir, but never mind, there's Tim Carroll looking as black as the inside of a suit bag, let him come on, he peeled the skin off them shins on mine at football, maybe, I won't trim his head with blackthorn for that same, if he's anyways obstropolis this blessed night, silence, sir, Neither my inclination nor sacred calling will allow me to countenance a broil. I have been the first offender to attempt to leave the room now would but provoke an attack, leave this affair to me, and don't interfere, by the powers, if man or mortal lifts his hand to injure you, I'll smash the soul out of him, do you think, omen or no omen, I'll stand by and see you harmed, not a bit of it, if you are a parson and a child of peace, I have the honor to be a soldier and claim my right to battle in your cause, maugre the pacific tone of the unfortunately accoutred ecclesiastic, there was something of defiance in his flashing eye and crimson cheek, as he turned his brightening glance upon what might almost be called the host of his nose, and the nervous pressure which returned the grasp of his cousin's sinewy hand, spoke something more of readiness for battle than could have been gathered from his expressed wishes, if, Jack, it comes to that, why? as human nature is weak excuse what I may feel compelled to do, but for the present pray oblige me by keeping your seat and the peace, or, if you must move and fidget about, 
Go and make that pugnacious Tim Carroll as decent as you can. I'll be advised by you, Dick, but look out. So saying, the stalwart young officer bustled his way to the uproarious Tim. It was well he did so, or bloodshed must have ensued, as at that moment a tall and powerful man, brother-in-law to the bride, lifted his stick, and after giving it the customary twirl aimed a point-blank blow at the head of the ill-omened parson. The bound of an envelope brought the girl to the spot, her small hand averted the direction of the deadly weapon, and before the action had been perceived by any present, or the attempt could be resumed, she dropped a curtsy to the assailant, and in a loud voice, with an affected laugh, exclaimed, You, if you please, sir, and, turning quickly to the fiddler, continued, Any too new like, Mr. Murphy, sir, but, good luck to you, be quick, or we won't have a dance tonight. Clear the floor, a dance, a dance, shouted everyone. In a few seconds the angry scowl had passed from the flushed cheeks of Dancini, and there he was, toe and healing, double shuffling, and cutting it over the buckle. To the admiration of all beholders, the bride was seated near the stranger he perceived this, and suddenly quitting his place, danced up to her, and nodding, as he stopped for a moment, invited her to join him. She was ever light afoot, and as she said afterwards, would have danced her life out but she'd give the poor young gentleman a chance. Long and vigorously did Dancini advance, retire, curvet, and caper, the whiskey and exertion at length overcame him, and he left the lady sole mistress of the floor. By this time murmurs had again arisen, and all eyes were turned upon the intruder, who had been intently engaged observing the dancers. It was an accomplishment for which he had been celebrated previous to his taking orders and the old feeling so strongly interested him, that he was absorbed in the pleasure of witnessing the activity and joyousness of the performers. He turned his head for an instant a heavy hand was laid upon his shoulder. On his starting up, he saw nothing but the smiling Nora pressing the arm of a tall peasant, and curtsying him a challenge to join her on the floor. He paused for a moment, then gaily taking her hand, advanced with her to the center. All eyes were bent upon them. But there was no restraint in the young parson's manner. The most popular jig tune was called for to it they went, his e, 